Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Somehow, God is in me, and there's a sense in which I am like God and man all at once. Many religions claim that we will all eventually be gods. The Bible says something so much better. It says, no, God will continue to be God. Man will continue to be man, but God will come upon man. No way! It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Anybody else having a flashback? This is Wretched Radio. Blinded! With science. It's kind of catchy, though. We're all getting blinded by what they're calling science. What is the point of science? It is to observe. It is to experiment. It is to hypothesize. It is to prove. It is to repeat. And there's a lot of good stuff going on in the scientific world these days. Unfortunately, an awful lot of effort, money, energy, brain power in science is being used to debunk God, which is why always happy to see the fine work from the people at debunked. She blinded me with science, science. science. <laughs> That's a big word these days, isn't it? Science says this science proves that science has all the answers. Science will one day explain everything. Science disproves God. Well, first of all, science doesn't say anything. Scientists do, which means a person has to interpret data or evidence. But hey, I know what people generally mean when they say science says, so I'll go along with it for the sake of simplicity. But let's at least make sure that when we say science, we're talking about the same thing. Pop over to the dictionary circa 2022, you'll get these definitions. One, a branch of knowledge or study dealing with a body of facts or truths systematically arranged and showing the operation of general laws. Two, systematic knowledge of the physical or material world gained through observation and experimentation. Okay, I'll accept those if you will. Makes sense, sounds good. But notice two things here. One, showing the operation of general laws means the general laws must already be here to show. And observation and experimentation both require preconditions of intelligibility. What you say? Just another way of saying that there are certain things that must already be in place that must exist and certain assumptions we make in order for us to do science at all. For instance, and bear with me here, science requires one, a human being with a properly functioning brain and basically reliable senses, right? I mean, that's pretty important, but why do we suppose that our eyes, noses, and other senses reliably report stuff about the universe. Without this assumption, science would be impossible. Likewise, without our memories being basically reliable, we can't do science. Two, science requires the laws of nature to be orderly and consistent, right? If the laws of nature aren't consistent, like let's say the properties of gravity change every three seconds or something, you can't accurately test or repeat anything. Thus, there's no meaningful observation or experimentation. Thus, thou canst do science. Three, science requires laws of logic. Without them, you can't analyze ideas, reason properly, or determine what data or evidence means. Without them, simply put, you can't do science. Four, science requires objective morality. If you are in any way tempted to let greed, power, prestige, fame, or whatever alter the truth or get in the way of honest observation, experimentation, 
or truthful recording, then science would be a mess. Yet, why you ought to be truthful, why you ought to record data accurately, must be a virtue that exists before you can do meaningful science. Hey, look, simple fact is this. Without just these four preconditions, and there are others, there is no quote-unquote science, period. But here's the big cue for you. What worldview best explains these preconditions? Because in the end, a correct worldview must be logically consistent and be able to explain these preconditions. And there's only one that does. Follow along and dig what I dish out. Genesis 126-27, Romans 120, and Psalm 139-14 declare an all-knowing, all-powerful God made us in His image and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why our senses are basically reliable. Jeremiah 33-25 and Colossians 1-17 declare He established His covenant with day and night in the fixed order of heaven and earth and that He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. This is why the universe is orderly and consistent. Isaiah 118 and Proverbs 22:17 call for us to reason together and to apply your mind to my knowledge. And 2 Timothy 2:13 adds, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is where the laws of logic emanate from the mind of a rational God. In Titus 1:2 it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. This is where objective morality flows from, the very nature of God who cannot be inconsistent, deny himself, or lie. These are the non-arbitrary reasons Bible believers provide for the preconditions of intelligibility. Now, on atheism, on materialism, on evolutionism, if that's a word, how are these accounted for? How does accidental non-life produce life, let alone life with reliable senses? How does chaos cause order? How can laws of logic exist in a strictly material world? How do random mutations make morality? See, they really don't have logical, consistent answers. In fact, as Dr. Jason Lyle asserts, the logical prerequisites for knowledge, which most people take for granted, are provided only in biblical creation and would be impossible in an evolutionary or atheistic so, there it is, my quasi-qualified questioners quickly quizzing quantitative qualified quizzes quite quietly. There's only one worldview that is rational, logical, and best accounts for the preconditions of intelligibility on which science depends, and that, my friends, is the biblical worldview. So, this here notion, this here idea that science has somehow disproved God has been like poetry in motion. Debunked. Adios. <laughs> Jimmy, could we get some of that music behind us all the time? Sure. I think it would make us sound smarter <laughs> yeah. is what I think, hey, here's some evolutionary news for you. AI, that would be your artificial intelligence. Freel, we aren't unintelligent. AI successfully imitated human evolution and might do it even better. This is so debunkable. From an article in Popular Mechanics, didn't know they were still in business. Researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, California, Berkeley, Salesforce Research, hmm, a science arm of the SF-based software company, listen to this, developed an AI capable of copying human evolution itself. So they're claiming that this totally random, unguided process that had no intelligence behind it is being done better by a program that we human beings designed with intelligence behind it. Honestly, okay, it's kind of insulting that they would think that we just don't see something that is so plain and so obvious. 
But what about these poor people that actually peddle this? These are people that are trying to disprove God so desperately that they actually program a software to duplicate what they think happened over millions and millions of years, saying, see, this proves evolution and that a computer can even do it better. Better than whom? Better than nobody? Better than the designer? Better than the intelligence that intelligently designed it from the article? This doesn't mean that AI created some sort of evolutionary superior superhuman yet. But the AI design sequences of 20 amino acids that make up proteins when compared to nature's handiwork. Oh, nature. I forgot that entity, which is located where? Nature resides in what part of the universe? Where is this? When compared to nature's handiwork, some of the sequences work just as well as ones generated over millions of years of evolution. See, we were able to design it and have a computer that we programmed and built and imagined. We had them do what we think happened millions of years ago, and they did it better. Wow, Jimmy, I whoo, sleeping better with origins right there. Scientists say use egg producing, not female, to phase out binary language. These these are the these are the people in the lab coats, Jimmy. Oh goodness! By the way, this hurts. Uh, it's. Let me just see how faux dramatic I can get. A man that we've all known and loved for so long produces a video to debunk the internet claims that his net worth as an evangelist is $20 million. But I'm afraid it might actually be a correct accusation. Ray Comfort who's being accused of being a gazillionaire, produces a video. I'm afraid it's right. Jimmy, have I milked this cow? A little bit. Enough? Yeah. <laughs> so he sends me a text with a picture of a basket filled with eggs because Ray has chickens in his backyard. And he said, do, we, do Sue, his wife, do Sue and I put all of our eggs in one basket? Yes. Yes, we do. 17 eggs today. There it is, Jimmy. He is rich. Any man who owns 17 (laughs) eggs has got to be worth at least $20 million. (laughs) Don't believe everything you read on the Internet. Another reason I was so discouraged to learn that Ray is worth $20 million, because Jimmy, according to the Internet, uh, he's worth $4 million more than I am. So, really? That rascal. Well, he is a little older, so I guess there's... There's that. We need to talk about my pay. Egg producing, egg producing, <laughs> not female. Researchers studying ecology and evolutionary bi- biology should be encouraged to use terms such as sperm producing and egg producing to avoid emphasizing heteronormative views. Oh boy. This is science. This is Wretched Radio. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting 
Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. (laughs) Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here on Wretched Radio today. You know, I get the question quite a bit. Why do you guys do the things that you do there at Wretched? And maybe you've wondered the same thing. And I'll answer that question by sharing a number that I actually read just the other day. Out of around 8 billion people worldwide, roughly 30% claim to be Christian, which means 70% of the world's population is on a collision course with hell. And that is why we do what we do here at Wretched. Our goals are to evangelize the lost, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. And we can't do any of it without the help of our gospel partners. If you're not currently one of our gospel partners, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? It's through the help of our gospel partners that we're able to do what we do and reach millions every single day with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So head to wretched.org slash donate and find out exactly how we can partner together. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries, you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Know your church fathers. Hippolytus was perhaps the most important theologian of the third century. He wrote a ten-volume book called Refutation of All Heresies, which catalogued and criticized hundreds of pagan philosophies, Gnostic teachings, and Christian heresies. Hippolytus was exiled and died a martyr under the Roman Empire. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, Jimmy. Yes? Want to hear the longest bridge ever? Okay. Here you go. This is Wretched Radio. And you're listening to the longest bridge in 80s pop history. Let's get to seeing what science is up to these days. Apparently, according to evolutionists, it's 
actually easier to believe in God than evolution. And we're going to use evolution to prove that it's easier to believe in God because we believe in evolution. If that smells circular, me thinks that it is from MotherJones.com. Evolution, the scientifically uncontested explanation. Really, there's no contesting. Really, it's undeniable. Hmm, nobody with a diploma disagrees with the idea of an unguided, random, lucky spin of the dice, which didn't exist until we just got really lucky. There's just none of that. It's uncontested explanation for the diversity and interrelatedness of life on Earth. And then they say this. Please keep this in mind. Our brains are a stunning product of evolution. And yet, ironically, they may naturally predispose us against its acceptance. Oh, you mean we still have some common sense? <laughs> that is what you're trying to say. Here's the number one reason that you find it easier to believe in God than evolution. See, I think it's a piece of cake to believe in evolution because it gives you license to do what you want to do. It gives you permission to deny what is the single most obvious fact in the universe, God exists, and it lets you live autonomously, licentiously. And isn't that exactly what we are seeing in our society today? We have advanced in making the individual the center of the universe, Forget heliocentric. It's human-centric. It's all about us. Number one, biological essentialism. I'll have to read that for you so you understand, because they use big words. Oh, it, it must be true that it's easier to believe in God than evolution, because even though our brains are stunning, there's biological essentialism. We seem to have a deep tendency to think about biology in a way that is essentialist, meaning each separate kind of animal species has a fundamental unique nature that unites all members of that species, and that is inviolate. Fish have gills. Birds have wings. Fish make more fish. Birds make more birds. And that's how it all works. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. That's biological essentialism. You think that it's been demonstrated in everywhere because, you know, birds fly, fish swim, and only a fish can make a fish, and only a bird can make a bird. Oh, no, silly rabbit. You see, we're scientists, and we've seen this essentialist thinking even in young children. For instance, says one of the bright scientists, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, quite clear that puppies don't have ponies for mommies and daddies. Exactly. A two and a half year old gets this, Edith. No, thanks to Charles Darwin and his many scientific disciples have shown that essentialism is just plain wrong. Given enough time. Oh, now I happen to have a watch on my wrist and I can tell you what time it is, but I can't tell you where time is. I can't tell you who runs time, and I can't tell you where time gets its power. Why? Because it doesn't really exist outside of being just a marker for how long it takes to get from A to B. That's it. It doesn't have intelligence. It's not running anything. It's not controlling. It's not designing 
Given enough time, biological kinds are not fixed, but actually change. Species are connected through intermediate types to other species, and all are ultimately related to one another. So please, please just lose your common sense, would you? You're just plain wrong. Number two, teleological thinking is why it's easier to believe in God. To ascribe purposes, this is teleology, to ascribe purposes to things and objects so as to assume they exist to serve some goal. Yeah, because that's what things do. They serve some goal. There's nothing that doesn't. This desk designed by somebody to, you know, be a desk, it serves as a desk because that's how it was made to be a desk. No, no, no. Evolution explains this. Recent research suggests that four and five-year-old children are highly teleological in their thinking, tending to opine, for instance, that clouds are for raining. Oh, those stupid idiot children. They just haven't read enough. Well, they just need to give it some time. And those clouds will become a species of monkey eventually. Because it's dumb to think that clouds have a purpose in dropping rain on the planet. The playing field may be naturally tilted toward anti-evolution doctrines like intelligent design, which postulates an intelligent agent, a.k.a. God, as the cause of the diversity of life on Earth and seeks to uncover evidence of purposeful design in biological organisms. <laughs> Why are you in science if you don't think that's true? No, that is why we tend to believe in God, because we recognize that things were made on purpose because they serve a function. Number three, overactive agency detection. Jimmy, that's what you got. Really? What is it? Christian, you. Ah. You don't even know what overactive agency detection is. <laughs> it's a default brain setting. So you and I would call it common sense. Examples of faulty agency detection. This comes from the religion scholar. I can't pronounce the name. Range from seeing faces in the clouds to getting really angry at your computer when it starts to malfunction. In other words, you start to treat something as if it's like human when it's really not. That's overactive agency detection. People engage in such anthropomorphizing all the time. It seems to come naturally. Jimmy, don't forget our brains are stunning other than this little <laughs> evolutionary glitch. And it's a short step to religion. When people anthropomorphize gods, they're inferring mental states. Professing to be wise, they become fools. This is just absolute, utter nonsense. Quote, supernatural agents are readily conjured up because natural selection is tripwired. Oh, so we've evolved this thinking that there must be a reason for the existence of everything. Okay, why would we do that? I don't know. Super Supernatural agents are readily conjured up because natural selection has tripwired cognitive schema for agency detection in the face of uncertainty. So just we got to we got to believe that there's something behind that 
Thunderbolt. Zeus! Thor! That's what it is. Number four, inability to comprehend vast timescales. You just can't imagine billions and billions of years. Therefore, you just believe in God, dummy with a stunning brain. Number five, group morality and tribalism. There are emotional reasons why a lot of people don't want to believe in evolution. When we see resistance to its teaching, here comes the, the evolutionary explanation. It is usually because a religious community fears that this body of science will undermine a belief system. In the U.S., here it comes, usually fundamentalist Christianity, deemed to serve as the foundation for shared values and understanding. In other words, evolution is resisted because it's perceived as a threat to the group. Or it's just ridiculous. I mean... It is an option on the table, isn't it? Because we can't go back and test it, see it, observe it, repeat it. That is, Jimmy, you know your belief in God? Yeah. Huh? You're just a scaredy cat. <laughs> You're scared. <laughs> Furthermore, you have a fear and need for certainty. That's why you deny the existence of God. Because there's something. There's a fear and doubt that impels religiosity and dispels acceptance of evolution. Quote from the smart people. People seem to take more comfort from a stance that says someone designed the world with good intentions instead of what the world is. Just an intentionless, random place. Wow, am I depressed from that. That is how people who are determined to deny the existence of God, and yet they show signs of divinity, if you will, everywhere. For instance, you've got this group in Germany trying to bring people back to life. They're called uh, tomorrow's biostasis, so that people won't have to die, because we want them to live forever, because, well, we haven't evolved yet out of this desire to not die knowing that something's behind the veil that's going to judge us because my conscience is driving me crazy. Which is why the evolutionist denies the existence of God. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, America doesn't seem to be the only country headed toward all-electric vehicle use. Some states have already made laws prohibiting the sale of vehicles with normal fuel after a certain date, like 2050 or 2040. But Norway, it seems, is headed toward the same goal of using all-electric vehicles, but their goal is in two years. There's just one problem, though. It gets really, really, really cold in Norway. And as it turns out, electric vehicles don't do so hot in the cold. Well, I'm not sure how many of you actually watched the NBA All-Star Game over the weekend. Just prior to the game, there was a rendition of the National Anthem and also the Canadian National Anthem. And Canadian singer Julie Black was the one who belted out the Canadian National Anthem, but not the normal Canadian National Anthem. Nope, she actually changed the lyrics to let us know that we're all from evil colonizers. She changed O Canada, Our Home and Native Land to O Canada, Our Home on Native Land. Yeah, a subtle change, but it speaks volumes, doesn't it? 
Well, because of Don Lemon's recent sexist and ageist comments against Nikki Haley, CNN has sent him to formal training, which is essentially just a woke re-education camp. <laughs> formal training means that Lemon crossed the wokeness line at his network and he has to be re-educated, which is nothing more than a normal Marxist tactic. A criminal gang in Libya has kidnapped six Egyptian Christians and asked for ransom for their release, according to a story from the Associated Press. The men that were abducted traveled to Libya hoping to find employment. The motives of the kidnappers and the main reason they kidnapped the men remain unclear at the moment. Well, Amazon making headlines once again as they're taking some flack and fire right now because they're promoting a recently released product called the Holy Spirit Ouija Board. Amazon began selling the horrendous new product last year, created by an obscure online website called Holy Spirit Games. The object, marketed by Amazon as the Holy Spirit Board, is a Christian religious talking board for seance. Eh, well, you know, you think they would do some research if they're not believers, because there is nothing Christian about seance or an Ouija board. That's why they're taking a whole lot of much-deserved backlash at the moment. More Wretched Radio, straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important Dates in Christian History 1517 Martin Luther posts his 95 Theses, a simple invitation for scholarly debate that inadvertently becomes a hinge of history. Luther's challenge to the sale of indulgences sparked the Reformation and changed the face of the world. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is a test of the Jimmy Hicks broadcast system. This is Wretched Radio. Let's see if somebody's been paying attention as of late, shall we? Jimmy, I've been making some promises, promises as of late on Wretched Radio. Can you recall one of them? Uh, In regard to, I don't know, say, relation between church and state. Oh, you're not going to talk about it. Wow. I, I'm i shocked you remembered. That's exactly right. I made a promise. I, I remember. I'm just going to kind of sit in the weeds and watch as this conversation unfolds a little bit. And I'm going to stick with that promise. I happen to, however, have an old sermon from 1989 from a fellow named John MacArthur. He's... He's pretty good. I've read some of his stuff. Huh. Submission to Civil Authority, Part 1, Tackling First Peter. So, Jimmy, if I just read what the MacArthur fellow said, I'm keeping my word. You're clear. Thank you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the king, governors, because they are sent to punish evildoers and praise of those who do right. That is the will of God that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the Joe Biden. That would be an updated paraphrase of the king. MacArthur, the point of the whole section of exhortation is that we Christians are to live in such a way that our exemplary lives stop the mouths of those who criticize our faith. In other words... He agrees with something we've been saying here. Persecution is evangelistic. It is about people getting saved because of our response. He wrote, it's essential that you live your lives in such a way that your testimony becomes believable. 
that the transforming power of Christ is made evident not only by what you say, but by what you are. We are in a different battle. This is a different game. And I get it. I really, believe me, I get it. We are a comfortable lot, aren't we? It doesn't matter what socioeconomic level you are at. You've heard these stats before. That we in the West, we live better than anybody ever has. Most likely, it really, the level of ease and comfort we have, I, I, I think, surpasses anything that King David enjoyed. It didn't have running water, air conditioning, heat, transportation the way that we have it. We're comfortable. And when that comfort is threatened, I get it. There is a, ah, I got to rise up. That doesn't seem to be Peter's take on the subject. MacArthur writes, we're aliens in the world. We live at a different level, a heavenly kind of life. We live the life of God on a supernatural plane. We are unearthly. We are heavenly, disentangled with the world system, setting our affections on things that are above. And MacArthur points out rightly, there is an inherent danger baked into the idea of being heavenly minded. You do potentially become no earthly good. I don't need to be concerned about this. I don't need to worry. It's not my business. I'm just going to heaven and that's what this is all about. So, K Sarah, K Sarah. That's not what MacArthur says. If we get too carried away, we become utterly indifferent to the world in which we live. So our alienation from the system is balanced by the demand of proper citizenship. I think it is to help people to be a good neighbor who loves, who helps, who serves in whatever capacity the Lord has called you to. God's people were to live in humble, submissive way in the midst of a hostile, godless, Christless, sinful, wicked, accusing, slandering society. We are never called by God to engage in it. Never. Engage in what? Insurrection. There are more and more people who are talking about that. There are more and more people that are Christians that are saying, yep, We've, we've crossed the line, and that is needed. I'm reading more and more articles about that, which is why I'm just reading John MacArthur, who actually starts the idea of submission to authorities in the Old Testament. Proverbs 24, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly. Do not associate with those who are rebels. Jeremiah 29, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile. So he sent them. They're there because they violated the Mosaic covenant. God has them there because he makes good on his word. MacArthur writes, they were in a pagan land under a pagan ruler, the king of Babylon, pagan to the core. And God says, the God of Israel to all the exiles who I've sent there, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters. In other words, carry on, live, get along in the pagan culture in which you currently inhabit. Inhabit, live. Verse 7, and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Whoa. So rather than disrupting, seek the peace of the city because you will know peace. Become the agent of disruption, and you will know disruption. That's from 
the Old Testament. MacArthur then fasts forward to his time. It's pretty interesting. This was actually preached in 1989. There were apparently some protests going on. There have been many protests, writes MacArthur, many acts of civil disobedience, many violations of the law, many revolutions, insurrections, and many subversive attempts to overthrow governments. In the name of Christianity? That's tragic. We are never commanded to do that. The command is simple. Submit yourselves. Now, we all know that there are exceptions that are found to that. But not doing what a government commands you to do that is sin, that isn't revolution. That's not rebellion. That's not even resistance. That's just saying, I cannot honor your request because your supreme authority and mine commands something different. And I obey him. And I'm prepared to pay the price. Paul, in Romans 13, writes MacArthur, said the same thing. And you say, but Paul didn't live in a world like ours. Yes, he did. He lived in a wretched, rotten, vile, ungodly, wicked society just like we do. And yet they were told to be subject to the authorities, to be subject to the powers that be because they were ordained by God. It's all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Quote, when a leader in this society says do this, you do it. When the police say get up and move over here, you get up and move over there because that's what the Bible tells you to do. Why? Because of the Lord. Because he calls us to obey them. He calls them to be the best citizens of all. Somebody comes along and says, well, how are we going to accomplish our goal if we obey the police? MacArthur, are we so foolish as to believe that if we disobey the police, which disobeys the word of God, we can accomplish something for the kingdom of God? What kind of weapons do we want to use? Carnal ones? You do not accomplish in society anything for God when you violate what God has designed for your conduct in society. This is to stoop to the wrong methodology. Then That is, the end justifies the means, and that the end can never be attained, for it is God who is in control. So responding submissively to the authority is responding to God's ordained rule. Is this easy? No, it's not. I am the first to admit it. I like air conditioning and heat and running water. I like being knowing my house is going to be there when I get home tonight. I like it. I like food in the fridge. I get it. And I like that people aren't acting bizarrely. So when these things are threatened around me, this is precisely when I've got to kick it in gear. And that is exactly what this MacArthur fellow is saying. A second motive why I believe we are to submit is that we imitate the Lord. We imitate Jesus. He is our example. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He lived under their unjust, unrighteous rule, yet he never attacked the government. He never attacked the rulers. He never attacked those in authority. He never led a protest. He never led civil disobedience. He never led a demonstration against Roman abuses. He never led it. This is hitting hard. He never led a demonstration against the sins of Jewish leaders against the sins of Gentile leaders. He never even protested when they violated every law of justice in his own trial. 
He spoke only of the kingdom of God, calling sinners to repent, come to him, enter his kingdom. And he kept entrusting himself to the God who judges righteously, and he knew God would do right because God is sovereign. Robert Haldane, many years ago, wrote that the people of God ought to consider resistance to the government under which they live as a very awful crime, a very awful crime because it detracts from the glory of Christ. It shows Christians in anger, hostility, rebellion, that's not honoring to God. To see us in peace and graciousness, in kindness, does honor God. To see us in virtue, obedience, submissiveness, humility, that honors our Christ. But I'm not going to talk about these issues. Good. At least till the end of this segment. This is Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844 Bible. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson, has returned for season number two. As a matter of fact, you can find it available now at transformed.org. Transformed season two demonstrates powerfully that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things you likely are. Assurance, PTSD, anger issues, depression, discontentment, anxiety, self-pity, and much more. And you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all of life, godliness, and our emotional challenges. Transformed Season 2, available now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, 
all over Eastern Europe and now in Africa. Would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Attributes of God. The Bible tells us of God's faithfulness. Since God is truth, He has no desire to break His promises. Since He is omnipotent, nothing can cause Him to break promises. Since His promises are based on His eternal plan, God will always keep them. Scripture called God a rock, a fortress, and a bulwark, never failing because He is faithful. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hang, hang. You getting a word? No, just a little nasally. Uh, Working on the allergies. This is Wretched Radio. In about 15 seconds, your eyes are going to cross. How do I know that? Well, I happen to be reading an article at The Federalist. There's a new piece of legislation that is being floated to make abortion totally legal because pregnancy is slavery. Told you your eyes would cross. How in the world do we get there? No, being a mother to your unborn baby is not equal to slavery, is the article in The Federalist, which is really sarcastic, and I like that. After the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, the left has pushed for legal theories to make sure that elective abortions continue unabated. They just got a federal judge to consider one of the looniest legal theories. The sort of theory that shouldn't be heard outside of a mediocre law professor's late night conversations with her cats after hitting the wine box a bit too hard. (laughs) You'd say, well, it couldn't be that bad. Yep, it's that bad. Claiming that pregnancy is slavery, therefore protected under the 13th Amendment. (laughs) The judge Oh, wow. Appointed by Bill Clinton. There's a shocker for you. Ordered a briefing for the question of whether there might be a constitutional right conferred by the 13th Amendment. Here's how it breaks down, James Brown. The legal reasoning of this theory is that unwanted pregnancy is, in the words of the 13th Amendment, a form of slavery or involuntary servitude. Huh. Jimmy, before I read the rest of it, Uh in order for somebody to be in bondage, in slavery, what might be some of the things that need to exist for that institution to be rightly defined? Uh, I, I don't know. You got to have a slave owner. That's true. You've got to have a person yep. who's putting you in bondage. Correct. Back to the article 13th Amendment says slavery, involuntary servitude. Big no-no. Because in an unwanted pregnancy, a woman's body is used by another. Oh, so there is another involved in this slavery called pregnancy. The whole thing just crumbles all by itself. Hold on. It gets even worse. You see that somebody is there without her consent. Oh, that's weird. I thought when you do that... That's the result, and you already gave consent because you did the thing that causes that to happen. For instance, imagine you go skiing. No, you go to a ski hill, and you rent some skis. You put them on your feet. You go up the thing, 
the deal that, well, you know, I don't want to sound like a sports show, but what what is it? A chairlift? You go up a chairlift. Yeah. Yeah. You get to the top of the chairlift and you aim your skis down the hill and you use your poles, give yourself a shove. And while you're racing down the hill, you say, I didn't give permission for this. Well, actually, when you did all those things that preceded the skiing, you consented to skiing. Ditto pregnancy. No one at the time of the 13th Amendment would think that it included unwanted pregnancy as a form of involuntary servitude. And they were right. It is madness to regard a developing human in the womb as an intrusive stranger with no claim upon a woman. It is crazy to believe that the ordinary natural processes of human reproduction are the moral and legal equivalent of slavery. But here we are. And it can make you bonkers. And it can make you want to fight. Which brings us back to John MacArthur. Now, Jimmy, you thought it was Tiananmen Square because that took place in 1989. Correct. Ah, Let's find out together, shall we? Okay. This is MacArthur. I believe it is sad to see Christians who set the example of public civil disobedience. Christians who set the example of the violation of law. Christians who harass the police. Romans 13, verse 5, Paul explains Peter's point. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. It is necessary. This is not optional. This is not optional. It is necessary. It is necessary. I'm not repeating him. That's what John MacArthur preached. And I think he gets to what it was. He talks about whatever the thing was that caused the police to do some sort of a crackdown. When the police do what they do to uphold law and order, They are ministers of God. It doesn't mean they don't abuse that. Sometimes they do. It doesn't mean they're they're personally Christians or personally more moral than anybody else. It means that their function as an agency with human life is to fulfill God's ordained role of keeping order. And if a person obeys them, does what is good, he has no reason to fear. But if he rebels and protests, then he has every reason to fear because of the wrath of God, because they are ministers appointed by him. So if you rebel, you should be afraid. Apparently, Dr. MacArthur doesn't see an exception clause in Romans 13. I understand perfectly and am 100% sympathetic with the cause of anti-abortion. I think it had to do with abortion in Los Angeles, if I had to guess. Okay. He says, it's a sin of the worst kind, but I do not believe that the solution is to violate the law of God. If we rebel, we should fear. No. He cites the exceptions. What if they command us to do what God commands us not to do? Or vice versa. Well, you don't obey. You obey God, not a minister of God. Quote, when the government asks you to do the opposite of what God asks you to do, you have no choice but to violate the government and then to comply with whatever they ask and bear your punishment. If the government said you're not allowed to preach, I'd preach anyway and suffer the consequences. But that's not resisting and rebe- the, 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 the resisting and rebelling has this attitude of fight. No, no, we're, we're, we submit, according to MacArthur, because I'm not commenting on this, if you recall, because I'm keeping my promise here. We, we submit because they are ministers to do what is right. And, and he would say, though, if they tell me not to preach because of Acts 4 and chapter 5, 
I'm not going to rebel or resist or revolt. I, I have to obey God instead. That's a radical distinction, radical in this entire conversation. And then I'd accept whatever God brought about. Do you realize Paul never resisted arrest? Never. They put him in stocks. Do you think they had to wrestle him in? Do you think they had to have three guys carrying him, dragging him because he was lying limp on the dirt? No. He went and he put his hands in the stocks and he sang and God shook the whole earth. And they had a revival. A lot of people got saved. The church started and he walked out of the jail. You see, the weapons of his warfare weren't carnal. He didn't need to lie in the dirt. He knew the one whom he served, and he knew how you deal with those issues in the power of God, not the manipulation of men. If God is for us, who can be against us? And if the Lord says, these are your weapons, use these. These are the weapons that you need to use. Truth, yet boldness, courage, obedience, submission, love, kindness, charity. Wield those. Because those are our commander's weapons of choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Although we walk in the flesh, we are in a body. We're in this world. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Those are our weapons, and they are divinely powerful. You probably don't need another story to make you bonkers. We've have a, we have enough agitation. We have enough gunpowder to cause us to explode. And it is in these moments when we need to find ourselves being under the authority of the word. We just have to believe God says, I'm winning, I'm going to win, and this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to accomplish what I desire to accomplish, building a spiritual kingdom that will one day, yep, it will reside on a physical place, but I am building the church, and this is how I want you to do it. We're not commanded to resist and to revolt and to rebel. We're commanded to submit, be obedient. And when the government goes against what God commands, I'm just quoting MacArthur. I'm paraphrasing MacArthur. When God commands us to do something, the government says, no, we want you to do it this way. We obey the commander-in-chief, which is God himself. Furthermore, and it's the same thing as they're causing you to sin or asking you to not do something that you're commanded to do. If they overstep their jurisdictional authority into the authority of the church, then we simply tell Mr. Caesar he has no place here. He has no business inside of the doors of the church, which is the most intense assembling of the presence of God on this planet, the local church. Eyes crossing? Yeah, I get that. Comfort threatened. We're feeling it more and more, aren't we? And by the way, he didn't tackle every aspect, every nuance, so don't start poking holes in it. His point is clear. We are citizens of a different kingdom, and we are to act the way that our king says. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.